G'day, this is uh, the first part of a series of interviews and conversations that we at the Hoo-Ha group are doing about conditions at work, uh, what's going on, people's attempts to struggle and the like. Uh, we're talking to Michael today who works at Queensland Rail um, and we're going to ask him and he's going to talk about some of the experiences of workers in Queensland Rail, what's going on, how people are organising, is the union doing anything and the like, just to set the scene. People might be familiar that in 2012 and 2013 there was a Queensland Commission of Audit that looked at all funding to public services and recommendation 15 or recommendation 16, sorry, I've forgotten, was that city passenger rail services and network infrastructure be opened up to contestability like bus services to allow different providers, including private providers, to bid to operate services and maintain below rail assets in a particular franchised area under franchised and leased agreements. So while this isn't privatising uh, public transport wholesale, it's opening the door to private providers to either provide the services or to provide the support services. And it's also saying that if the state organisations want to continue running them, they have to run them in a way as if it was best market practice. So they're running them like a private provider. So this, I think, kind of sets the scene for uh, some of the things that are going on on the rails. Hi, Michael. How are you doing? Yes, good. Thank you. You want to give us an introduction to what life's like working for Queensland Rail at the moment? Well, um, yeah, I guess uh, over the last couple of years, um, there has, uh, we have seen some you know, significant changes, um, both the drawing back of the um, conditions that we had. Um, the, I guess the day-to-day experiences have been like, really intensified, whether it's uh, you know, just micromanagement of employees, um, disciplinary sort of um, actions. Um, Can you give us an example of some of these? Um, well, recently uh, the ex- excessive absenteeism um, has been clamped down where uh, so employees have been isolated. Um, they, they've been uh, pulled into meetings with management. Um, so I guess they're framed in the sense of making people feel like they can't at least sort of take a day off and um, sort of so that they're under pressure to never take a day off no matter how sick they get um, because all in the sort of term, I guess, of making it more productive, mm-hmm. um, they, they want to, I guess, uh, say they frame it in sort of supporting the worker this is what they say, that we want to uh, support you to know how you're feeling, if you're sick, if this is a re- result of work. But at the same time, they're saying that you can't really have a day off because it's affecting the business and how productive they're, they're able to be. And so were the workers, how, was it, how did management let the workers know that this would be the, the new process? Well, just uh, like I said, they were, workers have been isolated, uh, just called in, whether it's during their shift, no warning, they're just called in from if you're working on the barrier in a lost property office on the platform, you're just called in. Um, they say that it's taken from, like, the previous year and the days in between. Uh, personally, I was called in um, for having 12 days off in an entire year. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, you're only... Like, there's in the agreement, it's seven days. Um, and also in the agreement, you don't need a, a doctor's certificate for one day. Mm-hmm unless management asks for it. Yeah. So people were under the impression that for one day you don't need a doctor's certificate, yeah. um, you can just call in sick. But now they're saying that you have to bring it in every single time. So mm-hmm. they've sort of isolated them and, I guess, yeah, making a really sort of insecure... Are they making... Is there... 
explicit or implicit threats that your job's on the line for taking sickies? Yeah, yeah. So, like, um, yeah, there definitely is. When you during those meetings, um, you are sort of warned that if this continues, you'll be performance uh, managed. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if it continues from there, there will be like obviously further disciplinary action or um, termination of employment. What do those performance um, performance management processes look like? Because I mean, I, I'm sort of relating to that with my work as well. So, like, what? Are, so, what? Are, what are like? Obviously, there's like some sort of uh, development plan, but is there like bullying and stuff as well from from management or from like supervisors and stuff like that? Yeah, well, you could say, like, obviously they're, they're careful how they frame it um, to obviously avoid, you know, any open show of, like, bullying, but you yeah. can sort of think, like, the isolation, um, that, like, it's not, it's not done in a, a weekly focus meeting. Yeah. It's not, it's not when the group of workers are together that they say, okay, now you've got to be careful about your sick leave. Um, it's just they're pulled to the side. But then the performance management is about, drawing up a suitable plan to be able to manage the employer from taking excessive leave yeah, okay, or yeah. whatever it is. And you have to, it's um, say, over a month. Each month you'd be brought in for a meeting to see then, oh, you've had one day off this month, that's an improvement. So, yeah. Just... So you accrue sick leave though, right? Like Yeah, yeah, so, definitely. Uh, I mean, what's if you're only supposed to have seven days off a year, how much, how, what, do you get, what do you accrue in sick leave in a year? Like how many hours? Are you full time or part? Yeah, if you're full time, it's it's a um, I forget how many hours it is added on after each sort of I guess fortnightly sort of yeah. cycle. But yeah, I so don't know. you're saying that potentially you can actually accrue more sick leave in a year than, you can than you're allowed to take. Yeah, yeah exactly. The, yeah. And has there been any talk uh, at all about the award modernisation process that's going on at all? Not. Um, so much at work. There's been a few um, recent, with like recent changes to the rostering system, there's been a few, I guess, remarks about how, you know, these changes, we just have to make sure that we can, um, you know, keep our heads down, I guess, essentially. Mm -hmm. This is what's coming from management um, because we need to make this look like a productive and efficient company. So if it does get privatised, so they're like the terminology they use, if it does... We need to do this to ensure our jobs that remain. So, so the threat of privatisation is used as a way to make the make Queensland Rail act as if it's a privatised company. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and it's <laughs> and it's worked. Like, like workers. So, say where once where there used to be three jobs on a peak hour on the platform. Yeah. They've now just allowed them to work. Also, they said, "Oh, we don't have enough staff to fill those sh- shifts." We'll just test out we're doing it with one person up there now. Mm-hmm. Over time, those vacancies were then just wiped Yeah, because people did keep their head down and instead of sort of, I guess, sort of organising, you know, to sort of say to management, look, we can't have one person up here. There was three people initially for a reason. It was, mm-hmm. you know, unsafe not to. Mm-hmm. Um, it and was what, kind of work, what kind of work is this? So just doing? say like standing on the platform at... Um, like eight or nine, for example, at one of the stations, like uh, Roma Street. Mm-hmm. Um, for Ipswich, sort of services in peak, it's incredibly busy. When you've got trains coming every five minutes in both directions, it makes it very, um, like you have to obviously signal in, make yeah. sure people aren't trapped in the doors, or like if it's pulling out, yeah. something, anything, like any sort of safety so issue. Pretty, you find it pretty stressful? But... 
Yeah, that, that, that can become very stressful, and that's why they initially say, okay, we're going to have three, and then everyone was happy with that, but now with the changes, they've gone back to the saying, oh, we, we can deal with one. And because there's been no resistance to that, everyone's like, well, I've got to protect my job, head down. Mm. Yeah, it's sort of like they are doing the work, like sort of yeah. the privatising work before it's even happened. So that's amazing when you figure that in relation to what you were saying about sick leave. Yeah. yeah. So the level of stress is, is increasing on workers. Yeah, but they can't take sick leave. But, they, but yeah. yeah, if you take sick leave, then you're going to have management on your back yeah, increasing yeah. your stress even more. Yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely, yeah. So it's like a power keg yeah. in some ways. Like, so, I mean, the hint of the privatisation stuff as well, like talking about how this uses like the looming privatisation is like a threat. Yeah. But, like, so, I mean, generally then, do, do stuff, are the staff scared or like have, have a problem with privatisation like in general? Like, is that is that why it's a threat? Like, because they actually have a political problem with it or like, no, it's just, I guess, they just know that it's going to mean that they might not have a job and stuff like that? Yeah, so I guess <laughs> the, the feel, it's like so the feeling is of safety has yeah. been like stripped quite Rapidly, yeah, okay. yeah, sure. The railways was um, once considered a place where you probably have employment for your, for your entire life. career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, sure. Um, but now that's that's rapidly changed, so people are quite insecure, and that's why I think willing to accept far too easily, sort of the I guess the drawing back of their conditions, it doesn't help. Also, <laughs> that um, I guess like the union movement around that is quite has shown itself to sort of be. Rather, I guess, or like powerless at the moment. Yeah, I guess yeah. in recent times. Um, and so, people, what are what are the unions that cover people on the rails? Um, well, in my like station staff in my particular area, mm-hmm. um, it's the services union, so ASU, um, or just the services union now. Sorry, and um, RTVU, so Rail, Tram, Bus um, Union. And some of the train drivers are, might be covered by the Australian Federation of Locomotive. Yeah, Employees yeah, in that, in that well. section. Yes, yeah, yeah. fully. What about um? What about casualization then as well? Like you say, you're talking about security and all these things. Like, because uh, I think we've had a conversation before, maybe about how the union had weird positions on casuals and how they didn't want to organise them and stuff like that. That um, that they sort of lost lost the, the fight when casualization was happening, and now they can't really organise them. So yeah, how well, that, how's, what's that dynamic look like? If that makes sense. Yeah, well, um, it's very true. Like they were obviously opposed to casualization yeah, within yeah. the railways altogether. But that's, um, I guess it's sort of like there were a few schools that were coming through, casual schools as they call them. That's like the way to get into the railways now. Um, That's how I got in. That's how I started. And then it sort of ceased for a while. But now, um, this year alone, they've had like four different schools of these uh, casual workers come out. So while they're, they're wiping what were once like permanent jobs at Roma Street, they're still hiring like... I think it would be about maybe 80 new casual employees in the last few months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's like a real big push, I guess, towards that casualization, and the unions it, aren't responding in any regard to that. Does this create a lot of tension between staff if you're, high, if you're employed as a permanent or if you're employed as a casual? Yeah, like not like open tension among one's another, one another. Like there's definitely remarks made about, oh, well, you know, the casual shouldn't be getting that shift. Okay. But um, but in terms of, I guess, like, you know, sort of support and working with one another, it's 
there's not like you know it's not like that they're just like a whole different section mm-hmm. so one on the day on a shift of course is you know working together supporting one yeah. another but there are those remarks made like all oh, the casual maybe shouldn't have that shift. so it's an in, yeah so workers are kind of competing against each other yeah. under these high pressure competitive insecure situations yeah yeah definitely yeah and i so what? So is there much? Is there resistance that's going on? Like, a, is there you know people? I guess probably interested in how workers responding to this. One thing it seems to be they're responding to it by battening down the hatches and trying to work harder to keep their positions. Yeah. But is there any kind of signs of collective struggle? And could you go into a bit more detail about how the union has actually responded or not responded, and what might be some of the contradictions going on there? Yeah. So it's um. I guess the experiences of organising within the workplace and sort of, I guess, the levels of resistance among workers has been up and down without really actually going too, too far towards, I guess, yeah, creating something that could sort of stop this from happening. Um, there's, there's a lot of chat, like a lot of sort of discussions around what we could do, but they're usually between small groups or one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And the challenge is, I feel towards building something that there's no space, like we haven't created a space in the sense like there's no weekly meetings around sort of these changes around what we could do. Mm-hmm. There's only like weekly meetings sort of handed down by the management about this is what the changes that are taking yeah. place, these are the new policies. and But workers aren't meeting regularly to... Yeah, there's no know. sort of, I guess, sort of large collective discussion. Mm-hmm. Around the changes and about what's going to happen. So, is there, so what's the what is the presence of the union? And would you say most of your co-workers are in the union? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's um, like the majority of workers are you know unionized um, mm-hmm. in the sense that you know they pay their dues either to the RTBU or the services union. Now, how do they normally talk about you know if you were thinking about your co-workers and how they talk about the union? Could you sum up their opinions? Is it quite is there a lot of difference about the union or? Well, I guess just recently it's sort of come out with the changes in this uh, direct debit um, or the payroll deductions for payment. This has sort of highlighted um, how people are sort of, or there's a lot of discontent with mm-hmm. the union. So what, what's, can you... Like, so people are just really actually refusing to continue as a signed-up member. Okay. Instead of like, so instead of changing over to direct debit, they're just saying, well, you haven't really done anything. Mm. You haven't, um, you know come and sort of formed anything for us it's all sort of yeah i guess it's just yeah it makes creates sort of a feeling of powerlessness i guess so if people are, of, people are stopping stopping being financial members of the union then yeah yeah like a lot of them are and that's sort of the presence of the union in our workplace is just to encourage or make sure that they change over to direct debit to be to remain a member but yep. like sort of really only I don't feel like they're going to organise in the like right now anyway. There's there's nothing that sort of makes it seem like they're going to organise anything sort yeah. of, and there is any benefit to it at the moment, which mm-hmm. sounds really I know sort of defeatist or a bit pessimistic. Like I definitely I definitely think that there's like there's uh, positives for the way we're organising and the sort of discussions that are building in the workplace. But I think sort of there has to be a way to sort of build that in a sort of an alternative way, mm-hmm. like not just saying, like, oh, is Greg Talbot stopping by today? Like mm-hmm. one of, like, the great, like the representatives 
like mm. pay representatives. Like they got to sort of, I guess, I don't know. We just got to sort of change it towards a more, I guess, sort of base orientated way. I think that's raised a lot of things, and there's two things I'd be interested in hearing about because I know you, I've heard you talk about them before. So if if not the union, where where do you think workers kind of experience solidarity with each other? Are there kind of social outings or other forms of solidarity where workers get together and you know talk about their experiences and help each other out? <laughs> yeah, like I guess I guess it's like it, it is quite. Um, quite a close group like there's a lot of there are a lot of sort of social gatherings social events that take place whether it's organizing you know outside of work to go bowling or to go like christmas uh, sort of lunches yeah yeah sort of events like that like like they're a close group but <clears throat> sort of seems like we disconnect it from the workplace so yeah. well we can be uh quite friendly and we can, like, I guess sort of it's quite um, trusting yeah, the yeah. relationships of the workers, but it's still hard to say that that's forming in any sort of, I guess, work-related way. Or yeah, it's all like, like workmates get together to escape from work. Yeah, exactly. Can yeah, I, yeah that's how it's trying. This a little bit, like... Yeah. Into my, work, into my workplace, it's kind of, kind of similar, but it's actually like... You, this is Tom, listeners. Oh, yeah, my name's Tom. <laughs> um, and where, what kind of industry do you work in, Tom? Uh, finance, uh, specifically insurance. Uh, it's an, uh, essentially a non-unionized workplace uh, with a sort of like a faux, uh, faux, like uh, employee kind of union, um, like employer union. So it's like in-house kind of HR department thing that sort of tries to sell itself as a as like a as an actual union. Um, so there there is some like traditional union presence there, but it's like quite quite minimal. Um, but yeah, just like from what you were saying before, there seems to be that kind of theme in our workplace as well, but where like you just go outside of work to like kind of escape from work, but it's actually um, pushed from management themselves to do it. So like they'll, they'll set up an event like Friday night bowling or something and, and actually be there as well. Mm. So they're sort of like regulating your own sort of social interaction with your, with your workmates as well. So yeah, it's like, it's like that, there's no avenue there to, start to talk about like how shit work is and what we can do to change it because your your direct managers side so that, by that's side kind of you. classic white collar office management strategy though isn't yeah, it is to try to make yeah. people feel that the managers are their friends friends yeah definitely and then the managers are under pressure from higher up to implement uh, like pretty tough work schedules then yeah. then people go well I want to help Jeff out because he's my mate and yeah, he's under yeah. a lot of pressure that's right you yeah, know yeah. And, and often because I think like there's managers and there's managers. Like, mm. I find working in the public service that my immediate line manager is not really a manager in the classic sense. They're mm. just a little bit of a step above me and they are always almost at breaking, you know, because they're under these impossible tasks. Mm. Yeah. So you, you do because you like them. Do Like, you, you shouldn't in some ways. You should go, we shouldn't do this work. But you help them out anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that definitely... Um what happens I think in my work and really similar to what's what's happening in yours like there's um, you know like a increased uh, yeah sort of clamp down on sick leave so I checked sick yesterday <clears throat> called in sick and they actually asked me like what was wrong yeah like specifically wanted a description so they could put it into a 
into a database, basically. Yeah. Um, and and this seems to be happening because I heard that it was happening. Didn't really hadn't really experienced it yet, so I tried to you know sort of use yesterday as a as a way to figure out what's happening. Um, uh, so they're yeah, trying to clap down on like I guess yeah like em- employee sort of uh, absenteeism, um, but like at the same time not really addressing kind of why why that is, and yeah. that's because performance structures have changed so much in the last six months that like people who were like previously secure in their job now aren't, mm. and they can't probably do any better. Yeah, um, I also think you know, and like if you look at any of the the statistics, it's pretty clear that. The amount of days lost to industrial action have declined Fine, yeah. pretty rapidly, rapidly over the last thirty years. But I think one the thing, has gone up. but yeah, that's yeah. how people respond. You know, people aren't kind of struggling collectively <coughs> for demands, but have far more of a like a fuck you attitude yeah, yeah, to yeah. work yeah. and take the time off individually or or sco- like. And I'm not posing that as just this is a successful alternative to collective action, but is actually one of the indicators of how workers are responding to. Intolerable conditions, yeah, right? Definitely. Or, or are at work trying to bludge, you know. So I think you know, like yeah. management in some ways are correct that they do have an absenteeism and bludging problem because I think that's actually how we're responding. Yeah, yeah. To mm. to work environments that are like a toxic, like a mm. increasingly increasingly toxic. Added to the level that people are also sick, right? Yeah. That work is making us sick at the same time. Listeners can hear uh, Arlo in the background at the moment, also talking about how much work sucks. He's only five months old. So could you talk a little bit more, Michael, about um, some of your experiences more recently with the union and what you think, what are they doing in this situation? What do you think is successful and what do you think is problematic? Well, um, yeah, I guess as I sort of touched on earlier, um, the unions and the work that they're doing um, to sort of, I guess, counter the changes that are taking place have been quite, I guess, near non-existent or insignificant in a lot of ways. Um, their, their focus in building their, I guess, their, their union campaigns, the services union I think they've got going on now is 27 Ways, um, which relates to, you know, the sick leave or whole annual leave, all the entitlements that the workers have gained over the... Mm-hmm generations um, and how they're in danger of, you know, being taken away. So anyway, I think there's just a, their strategy sort of forms a big, or there's a disconnect between what is happening at the workplace and what the unions are offering. They came to our uh, focus meetings, our weekly worker meetings, um, management imposed worker meetings, um, but they come along um, encouraging workers to come to the, you know, a rally outside of Parliament House a rally that, while it may sort of um, show a bit of collective strength, it's so far removed from the workplace that it's not really going to challenge, I guess, the, the changes that are taking place. How many of your workmates would go along to this rally? Well, the recent one, the March in March, I know from people I've spoken to, um, like the amount that I sort of counted was two people openly told me that they went. So. And what about one that's more organised by a union? The unions have. When was like? When was the last time the unions organised a rally against the Newman government? April last year, September? wasn't it? September. Yeah, September. Just before. The, just before. Yeah. Just before the federal election. Do you know if any of your workmates went along to that? Yeah. No. None of them that I've spoken to, or the people that I see day to day, went to any of those. So the union of kind of calls to come to these rallies outside of work are not very effective. Yeah. Yeah. Not. Not in the eyes of like the workers or like myself. Mm. Like I feel like 
at the very least, like some form of, I guess, industrial action, some sort of, it should have been threatened at mm -hmm. least or suggested, brought yeah. to the attention of the workers because what we feel, like I said before, is sort of discussing one-on-one -on -one and, you know, that, that we need to do something. It's never, like, formed collectively and I don't think any sort of confidence is building that we can do something. Are the, sort of are the unions doing anything that you think is positive? Yeah, not to sound too pessimistic. Because um, I, I want to, I wanna, like, this is a really interesting conversation, I think, because... Like, a lot of the discussions that say where people in the hoo-ha group, or the, the broader left, for lack of a better term, there's a mixture between being either really critical of unions but also seeing unions as the only really game in town, you know, at the same time, and that they've got this big potential. So I think, you know, there's going to be some people listening will go, hang on, you know, like, there's all these positives to unions. What are you seeing on the ground in the rails? That well, I think the reactions of the workers sort of says it all when they're just not continuing um, to pay the... Yeah. Like union dues, they're opting to sort of drop out from being like a union member. I sort of that shows that the unions maybe like people would think that there's no point anymore because their hands are tied too tightly now. Mm -hmm. All the new like changes to like the laws around that sort of you know highlight that clearly, mm -hmm. um, and workers sort of understand that. So yeah, I don't I don't think there's too many positives that you can gain from it. Like re recent sort of roster changes, sort of, I guess highlight how the unions have access to information, but are sort of keeping it from the workers. So, for instance, like like the new changes, yeah, like I said in the rosters, like the unions were in meetings with management long before that was announced by management to the workers. So while they had access to that information, they never prepared us for what may happen and how, and give us sort of a, a little bit of foresight to how we could maybe organise against what's going to happen. So, yeah, they're just... Their presence in the workplace is basically just one-on-one -on -one meetings. Mm -hmm. They come along to sort of sort out individualised problems that may be, of course, important to the person that it's affecting, but they're not also there to sort of build solidarity in any sense like so there's so if some person's being targeted by management for writing like an email that was deemed inappropriate blah 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 mm -hmm. like oh sort of to elaborate on that one like so there's again the disciplinary sort of um measures that are being taken are including sort of emails that are, are critical of departments within within Queensland Rail and so they've been targeting those people. So, so you can't send critical emails anymore. Yeah, not no. Nah. So that that's been called out. People have been reported on that. But so the union, well, that's great that they're helping them out. There's never any meeting to the call to say, oh, collectively, who else is, has this happened to? Mm -hmm. How should we respond to this? So it's just one-on-one -on -one representation. Yeah. Like there's been a lot of attempts in the past in a whole range of different unions where people try to build like a rank and file ticket. And kind of transform the union from within. Have do you think is there any of that kind of activity going on? Have you had any uh, any other contact with people who are either working in the industry or in the union or are critical? You know, is there a chance to transform the union from within? Within the railways, like I, like I mentioned, sort of some of the discussions in small groups have been positive in that regard. How you could 
like how you could even begin to, I guess, sort of think about changing the union or building something else. Mm-hmm. So there's been those sorts of discussions, but not really, I guess, sort of outwardly criti- critical of the union. Like it's just, well, this is what we've got. You know, mm-hmm. while they're good ideas that we could maybe try to think about or discussing more often, we still, you know, either don't join it or just pay the dues and get whatever else. It's not like... Yeah, I don't know. I find it's... Um, it's, it's like when I went to a union sort of meeting, like the entire union um, and all the branches that they cover, like the services union... So you went, you went to a, like a statewide services meeting? Uh, like a, a training course, sort yeah. of training uh, meeting sort of course. And there were quite quite critical um, discussions about the union mm-hmm. that, I th- that I think sort of had some, um, some positives. But, so what I mean is like within the railways itself, they're not entirely critical of the union. They're just mm-hmm. open to having a discussion that maybe is something that could you know, happen without, you know, just saying, oh, we'll just forget about it or sort of actually work towards building. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, Yeah, my name's Rob. I work in hospitality. Um, I think this discussion about the unions being able to... I think, like, the stuff that Dave alluded to earlier and the stuff that you've been talking about, Michael, I think very much relates to the fact that there's been been a a historic decline, right? Um, and outside of a few select industries where unions still wield a fair bit of like workplace power, so construction and certain areas of manufacturing and that kind of stuff, where they still have fairly strong organising structures and stuff, most unions seem to have completely lost the ability to exercise any actual power at work. Um, so whether that's, you know, and I think they've tried to make up with that by using outside things outside the workplace to try and convince people to join. So they'll say, we need to fight Campbell Newman. And like, yes, we do. But you also need to sort out my shit at work. Mm. Or we need to work together. And the more people that we can work with to sort our shit out at work, actually maybe we can get into more of a general discussion about the political situation in Queensland. But there doesn't seem to be a recognition of the fact that them not actually participating in and like helping people have power at work is any kind of strategy. And it doesn't seem to me that and this, I don't know whether this is your experience, that they actually even have a strategy to actually, like... Re- Vote in Labor. Well, yeah, but, yeah. but even that, I mean, even that is... Donate to a billboard campaign. <laughs> well, I mean, even, but even that, it's like that's... There's no real strategy to address the decline because they're so wedded to the old structures that no longer really exist anymore, right, yeah. in any real sense. So it's yeah. kind of like, unless there's a real break in some way of, like... You know, whether it's around a political break, um, or whether it's just you know some a few people get together and try and actually devise a different way of organising areas of workers who which unions have completely given up on, um, like the large casual workforce, which has never you know say a thirty year old who's worked as a casual their whole life has never experienced any kind of union activity most likely, mm. and we're talking that's a, a large part of the workforce there. Maybe so, the SDA if they work in, work yeah, in the supermarket. Yeah, they might have experienced the SDA, which has turned them off even yeah. more, like from a political angle as well. So, yeah. And it seems like the only way that they think unions who then try and exercise some power at work, actually the only way that they see it is to either 
like appeal to the government for some kind of funding pay deal thing like we see with the child with the early child child care workers or something like that or they they see their ability to negotiate with management as their yeah. key to exercising yeah, like informed EBAs and, and yeah. then the response is often that they don't have any power right yeah. so because they have like, no actual power but like <laughs> and my, managers aren't stupid yeah. and they know that right yeah so i guess yeah well, well, my, my partner was you know being bullied at work contact the union and got the flat response that we can't do anything you know, and then you really think, well, what, what's you know, what's the point of like paying the dues? Yeah. Well, my position is that then, like, I have a position of the union is not going to do anything for me. Mm. Yeah. And I know that, and that is, it's not fine. But um, they are not going to come into my work. I can ring them up with a complaint, but they really won't do anything. They'll just give me some advice on what I can do. So my my personal thing is that I just act like a delegate anyway and whatever happens happens so I don't know whether people whether we have to just recognise the fail, the abject failure of of you know the current <laughs> union project and how it's actually structured it, and stuff but it's also different from industry to industry like I think yeah. like I, I've never worked in construction but I have the distinct impression that the level of of organisation and the closeness between the union and the workers in the construction industry is probably greater. Maybe also the maritime union as well is totally different from, say, the public service or rail or well, fuck, it really only is the construction industry and public service the people that are in unions, isn't it? I think that's probably a slightly different kettle of fish. And I think if you look at the legislation, like there's a whole range of quite clearly anti-union legislation that's being drafted at both a a federal and a state level, the construction unions are singled out specifically for attack. And I think that's because they're still successful. Like, that, they still um, fight day-to-day issues and can demonstrate power in, in the workforce in an industry that is crucial for capital accumulation. You know, the, either constructing mines, building infrastructure or constructing real estate, they've got a, a real power, which the other unions aren't demonstrating that power. You know, you think about with the... 14,000 public servants lost their job in Queensland. Was there any industrial action? That's a historic failure. And the same leadership team is still in power, right? That's Sorry, Rob, I interrupted you. But... I know, but I think the then you take from that, like, if you, if you then say, okay, people's voting behaviour in elections, right? Like, they savage, they savage a, a government which, which fails. Yeah. Right? So why isn't there not the same anger on some level? Like, why? Like, what's the disconnect in that sense? Mm. It's like people kind of, you know, like who are even who are in unions are just kind of, well, this is how it is. And, yeah. you know, I can, I, I can totally understand that. But um, Well, people are more faithful to the idea of what unions were or could be yeah, or the yeah. notion of solidarity. And there's only like, solidarity. I, I would, like, I would always join a union in a workplace I'm in because I think the other people that are in... The people you want to talk to in your workplace are often also in the union. You know, I think there, there's there's that thing too. But this is why the Conservatives have been so effective, you know, with I think the legislation they brought through in Queensland where they make union leadership publish their, their wages. Like, it's actually really... Like, to be in a member of a union like Together and to see what the leadership gets paid, like, you do get really angry. <laughs> like, it totally plays into the... You know, the Conservatives are... All right, people are pissed off. You know. I interrupted you again, Rob. 
That's fine. I don't have to say. I think that this is a conversation, a broader conversation for maybe another podcast. Okay. All right. <laughs> we have been going for 35 minutes now. All right. So, um... That's part one of our conversations about experiences at work. Segwaying into part two. It's segwaying into part two. Michael, thank you very much. Is there stuff you didn't get a chance to say so far that you really want to talk about? I think that pretty much covered everything, sort of, I guess, the direct experiences I've had so far. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. thank you very much. All right. Well, I hope listeners have enjoyed it. Remember, hashtag hoo-ha, H-O-O-H-A. LTD, Living the Dream, Hoo-Ha Radio. Um, thank you very much for... Um, we have a blog. It's the word from strugglestreet.wordpress.com. There'll be articles and debate about very similar issues appearing there. Please, uh, you know, talk about us on Twitter. Come to the blog, write comments and get in contact with us. We're trying to create a space in Queensland for um, non-bullshit, uh, radical anti-capitalist investigation and ideas and we'd really like you to participate in that. All right, I hope you, you enjoy. <laughs> well, yes, but I don't need to do it directly. I can just add it in the end. So. I don't know what's going on because I'm not quite sure. But there might be music depending on the copyright uh, stance of the podcast poster and my technical skills. So if this finishes with a song, you know it's a victory. Maybe on the next show. I saw you, but I didn't